Sometimes God will put us in the places where we can't depend on our IQ, depend on our natural skills. God, we need you to move in the gr- this group of people. We have to be open to that. Let me show you in Scripture. It says this in Galatians. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, and this is Paul writing, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, For he worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, the Jewish people, and he worked also through me to the, uh, for mine, to the Gentiles. And so be aware of where God is calling you. He may call you to a group that you don't feel qualified to reach. He may call you to children. He may call you to teens. He may call you to people who are advanced in years. I didn't say old. I just said... You're advanced in age. Amen? And that may be your specialty. It's not like, well, somebody needs Jesus. Well, I can't talk to them because they're not exactly my people group. But we should be aware of that. And we, that should be a place where we pray and begin to say, God, who are you calling to me? Who are you calling me to? Because you are the miracle. On, on the, <laughs> you are the miracle. That you're the answer to somebody's prayer. I don't know if you knew that. You're the miracle on the, you know, everyone's praying, God, give me a miracle. Give me a miracle. God, make me a miracle. Amen. Make me the answered prayer for somebody that's been waiting to hear the truth. Huh. Paul said this in first Corinthians. He said, I'll stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective ministry is open to me. And there are many who oppose me. Come on. How many want great doors to effective ministry? Great doors to effective ministry. Come on, let's say that together. Great doors to effective ministry. But there are many who oppose me. How many know you have a great door before you to effective ministry? I want effective ministry. Whenever I'm ministering, I'm like, hey, listen. What I'm here for is to see results. Amen. I go to get my hair cut. When I walk in one way, I better look different when I came out. Come out. Amen. Because I expect effective haircutting. I expect them to make me look better. So same way with your ministry. Great doors to effective ministry is what you and I are called to. But there will be opposition. You may run into that guy at the airport. We have to be ready for opposition and not be discouraged. I'm telling you. As if, when you're going out fishing, it doesn't matter because it's pleasing to the Lord. What you're doing is his prayer request. And when you go out, I can tell you, I've been out so many times, and it was miserable. It was frustrating. Sometimes it was even unfruitful. That's rare. But I always tell whoever I'm with, I said, but the Lord loves this. I'm answering his prayer request. I'm doing his work. And guys, Gateway Church is not going to be some lake. We're going to be a river. We're going to go to those places, into our workplace, colleges, schools. And we're looking for those great doors to effective ministry to open So we call those doors of ministry right now. Be opened in the name of Jesus. Be opened in the name of Jesus. I thank you for great doors of effective ministry to be open. Amen. Amen. All right, so we know we're praying for our people group. Um, We also got to pray for which tactic, what should we use? Which bait should we use? Should we use the rubber bait, live bait? Should we just use a net to collect everything? I mean, there's different ways to fish. And when Paul was talking about the Jews and the Greeks, he said, for the Jews demand signs, but the Greeks seek wisdom. So you'll meet different people. 
Um, some people are very good at kind of breaking things down theologically. There are barriers that people have that don't allow them to come to Jesus because they've been lied to. They believe things that aren't true. So it's important that sometimes we do address those things with wisdom. But I'll tell you, it's so much better just to give them a sign and a wonder and make the, I always say, uh, you know, if, if you sometimes struggle with believing that that miracle happened, it's a wonder. You just wondered. I wonder if that happened. It's called they call it a sign and a wonder. There should be things that are happening that cause us to go, wait, what is God doing? But verse 24 says, but to those who called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So there's both power tactics and there's wisdom tactics. And I would encourage you, these are the, the tools we want to have when, we're, when we are going out and ministering to the lost. Look for someone who's limping. Look for someone that has an ailment and ask them, hey, do you mind if, do you mind if I pray for you? Is that okay? And there are ways that we bring people to the Lord through signs and wonders. <laughs> Can I tell you a story? So last week... Uh, we got to meet with Eugene Bach from back to Jerusalem. You guys remember Eugene? The little gospel pill thing. He was, it was amazing. So we got to spend some time with him. Now, he shared this story on his podcast one time because he's very connected with the underground church in China. And what had happened was this Chinese pastor was, was incarcerated, was put in prison in a very uh, you know, pretty high up prison because of his stand for Jesus. How many know they do that in communist countries? All right. And so we shouldn't, we should always fight, get, fight back against any kind of control or Marxism or whatever, because that's what it leads to. And for you and I, when we hear this story, this pastor was, was known for preaching the gospel, for healing the sick, for raising the dead, for casting out demons, but he was thrown in jail and he was in prison. And the warden of that prison the warden of that prison got a high-profile political prisoner that he had to make sure was kept alive in the prison. But during one of their interrogations, they killed him. He died. And the warden was freaking out. I don't know if you know what happens in China. I think it's important for us to understand China. Is in China, if something like that happens, they will probably kill you. They will kill the warden. And so this warden was freaking out. He said, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? They're going to kill me because this high-profile political prisoner is dead. So guess what he does? He goes to the cell of the pastor, and he says, I'm in big trouble. If you don't go in there and raise this guy from the dead, they're going to kill me. Guess what the pastor said? He goes, if you get on your knees right now, and you give your life to Jesus, I will go in and raise him from the dead. So the warden gets down on his knees. He gives his life to Jesus. The pastor goes in, prays over the political prisoner, raises him up from the dead. Come on! Isn't that amazing? This is happening! And Eugene heard that story from the warden. <laughs> Here we go. So Jesus said in Matthew twenty two twenty nine, you are wrong because you need you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. I want to be a great theologian, but I also want to have the power of God on my life whenever is needed. Amen. There's many great theologians who've given up their 
their theological degrees because they've realized that they're not living in the power of God. We can do both. We have to have the gifts of the Spirit. And we have to have the wisdom. Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. So it's not about the wisdom. It's not about the signs and wonders. The focus has to be Christ crucified. That is a stumbling block for people. They don't want to accept that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And these are theological things that people will struggle with and wrestle with. But friend, there is no atonement for your sin outside of the blood of Jesus. Can I tell you, people say, well, what about someone who's never heard about it before? Well, we are called to go to them. You understand? Now, at the end of the world, and I find out something different, I will preach it. I will talk about it. But right now, based on what I know, if we don't go and share the gospel with them, they will go to hell because we didn't go. That's what I understand in the Bible. Now, is it possible that they could come? To, it's possible. Anything's possible. But based on the scriptures, we have to go. And when we stand in judgment day, it's not the finger's not going to be pointing at God. It's going to be pointing at you and I. And we have to say, you're right, Lord. I didn't speak. I didn't go. I didn't understand the power of God. I didn't walk in the wisdom of God. You can say amen or ouch, either one. But that's truth, amen? It's truth. So we have to say, okay, God, this is what my call is. And people will resist that message. We shouldn't be shocked when people resist that message. It is a stumbling block, both to Jews. They say it's a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Jesus said in John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It comes down to your perspective of who Jesus is. And what happens with, for instance, like the Jehovah Witnesses, they don't, they don't worship Jesus. They don't honor Jesus the same way they honor the Father. That's the first thing I always ask a Jehovah Witness. I said, you don't worship Jesus? You don't honor Jesus the same way you do the Father? Like, no. That's the issue. That is the issue. It comes down to the person of Jesus. What did he say? He says, unless you believe that I am he, <laughs> you will die in your sins. We have to get Jesus right. And that's part of what, that's what part of what I pursue as a theologian is going after. We've got to get Jesus right. James chapter 2 says, you believe God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So there are people out there that say, well, I believe in God. But that does not save you. Belief in God does not save you. Are demons saved? It's not a trick question. Demons believe in God. Does that save them? No. It's the acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead that saves you. It's acknowledging who Jesus is that brings people to salvation. And we cannot compromise that message, friends. There are barriers. One of the things we do here is we try to reach out to people that are hurting. There's emotional barriers. How many know people have, well, the church just never did this. The church let me down. You know, I always ask that question, you know, well, if you, have, if you had a bad plumber one time, does that mean you never use plumbers again? If you went to a restaurant and had a bad experience, does that mean you never go to restaurants again? If you ate some bad food one time, does that mean you never eat food again? 
How come that plays out in the church? Well, I had a bad experience at church. Yeah, because there's people there. Really? Yeah, there's people there. People do stupid things. People get power. They do stupid things. Amen. All right. Okay. If a picture is worth a thousand words, then an example is worth a thousand pictures. So what we get to do through our, one of the issues is our hunger relief center, right? We get to show the love of God. We get to go out and, and freely give with no expectations. We're not shaming people. Like, you should feel really bad that you need food. Why? I always say, you should feel really good that, we're able, that you can get some food. You're helping us out, and it helps lift people's spirits because God's in a good mood, and we have the opportunity to help our neighbors, and there are barriers that are, that are happening. In James, it says, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So through our support, we've been able to hand out over 25,000 boxes of food this year. I mean, it's insane. I think that's right. I, uh, yeah, three out of two people are good at math. But yeah, over 25,000 boxes of food. Somebody got that. We've been able to bless our community and also bring them the gospel. So it's important that we do that. There are physical things that we can do. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And sometimes the miracles doesn't happen. That's okay. Sometimes we don't have all the answers to their theological arguments. That's okay. God will get them. You're planting a seed. And we have to be well aware of that. Well aware that we are going to obey God and follow and be, do the work of evangelists and say, God, what is the tactic? What is the bait? How can you use me? Use me to be the evangelist that somebody needs right now to hear the message. Maybe it's through video. Maybe it's through music. Maybe it's through painting. But remind you that especially in times of persecution and hardship, that's when people are really looking at us. You don't know how good a tea bag is, so you put it in hot water. And people are looking like, how are they going to respond when they just got gossiped about, talked bad about, a bad situation happened? What are they going to look like? They're, they're looking at us, and we're, when we're still at peace, when we're still carrying the presence of God, and of course, my favorite person in the Bible is Joseph. Because Joseph went through, the spaghetti hit the fan in Joseph's life. And that boy never stopped. He never changed. He always did his very best. He always, I mean, he got, he got thrown into a pit. Pit stands for pastor in training, by the way. He got thrown into a pit by his own family because he was interpreting dreams. And then he keeps interpreting dreams. I'm like, bro, that got you into trouble. Stop that. You know, how many people have been shut down? Because our family rejected us, or the first time we did it, we got ourselves thrown into a pit, and we thought, I'm never doing this again. No, that's exactly what you need to be doing. And he kept doing it, and guess what elevated Joseph to the throne was his ability to interpret dreams. 
So keep going, no matter what happens. In the midst of persecution, keep going and do the very best that you can do in that situation and watch God move mightily in every circumstance in your life. I love Joseph. Come on, give God a shout of praise. So we're going fishing. We're called to be fishers of men. Last thing I want you to fill in is, but which temperature should we be at? You know, sometimes people can be a little too intense when it comes to evangelism. Uh, they, they always say there's, there's three different types of evangelists. There's the, the shark. Don't be a shark. You know, shows his teeth and kind of, how many met an angry, angry person witnessing to you before? You're going to hell. I was like, well, okay, well, it's a good place to start. My name's Chris. Uh, you know, like, I believe in hell. It's biblical. I've taught on it here. But that's kind of conversation B or C, maybe. Uh, not my first conversation. But then there's the carps that just hang out below and never interact with anybody. That's not good evangelism. You know, it's, it's like the story of the guy. He, he decides he's at work, and he says, you know what, I, I'm, I'm just going to I'm just going to be the happiest person at work. I'm not going to tell anybody about Jesus. I'm going to wait for them to come to me. So for years, he's, he's there early. He's making the coffee. He's helping out. He's, he's the first one there and the last one to leave. He cleans his desk. He does everything. And he's working really hard for two years. And finally, the, the, the lady in the cubicle next to him, she goes, there's something different about you. He's like, yes, yes. You're a vegetarian, aren't you? The last aquarium uh, <laughs> of, of fish animals, the dolphin. We just need to be happy and joyful, bouncy with our evangelism, humorous. And um, I'll tell you, that's the best way to do it. I want to just share with you, um, when Jesus said about Revelations 13, 15, 16, and he talks about being hot or cold. And when we talk about this scripture, for many years, I've always thought, oh, I understand this. We need to be hot on fire for Jesus, or we need to be like this terrible sinner. That's the way I've always interpreted that verse. Neither be on fire for God or just be 100% away from him. And I had this scripture explained to me differently, and I want to share that with you. Because when it comes to evangelism, we need to know not only our temperature, but our temper. The, the amount of influence that we do. We, we can't be too aggressive but we can't be too passive either. We can't back down when we need to stand, but there's also a temperament that you and I need to have when we're evangelizing. It, there's, there's something that needs to happen. And when Jesus said this, he said to the church of Laodicea, he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you either cold or hot. So because you are Luke lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I mean, oh, Jesus spits. Jesus saves. Jesus delivers. Jesus spits. I don't think that's a good license plate. Anyway, why does he spit? Well, because it's, there's a rejection of what's happening, and he's speaking to the, the citizens of Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was actually very close to the the city of Colossa, which is the, the book of Colossians. And we don't have the letter to the Laodiceans, but we know they got one. But 
they were very close to the city of Colossia. And if you look into, I'm going to show you a map. Here's a map here. You actually have, uh, this is the, the Lycus River, and the, there's a valley here. And you have Laodicea. And then you have two other cities that are located relatively close. They're in the same valley. Think about six miles away, maybe eight miles away. Heropolis and Colossa. That's where we get the Colossians. Now, interesting, when Jesus says, I wish that you were either hot or cold, he's talking about their water situation in Laodicea. Laodicea was, was not close to water, so they had to, they had to bring in uh, the waters of their own. Now, interestingly enough, in, um, I'll, I'll read this, the, the Lycus River Valley, the location and the fame of the two of the three triplet cities in the valley would have immediately brought to mind the fame of the healing that the springs of Herapolis and the crisp, fresh drinking water of Colossia and the river six miles away. And this is what he's saying. They, there was actually cold springs in the city of Colossia, but there was hot springs in Herapolis. Now, what happens is, is by the time these cold waters got to Laodicea, what happened? They were lukewarm. They were not useful anymore. By the time they got the hot water from Herapolis to Laodicea, the water again is lukewarm. And it's a reminder, not, it has nothing to do with us being on fire for God or being cold for God. It's, is your water useful? You can drink cold, refreshing water. That's useful. You can bathe in hot water. That makes you useful. But God is saying here, you and I need to be useful. You got it? So lukewarm water has no use because it cannot be used. Are you useful to the kingdom of God? And we have to ask, what is my part in evangelism? Now, there's this interesting scale. It's called the Engel scale. And it tracks where people are on their journey toward Christ. I think this is, this is an interesting thing. I think oftentimes preachers put such pressure on you, like you got to win people to Jesus. you got to get them to that place of decision. You may not be able to do that always. Sometimes if people are so back away from Christ, if you can get them just, if they were a negative eight toward Jesus and you can bring them to a negative six through your interaction, cha-ching, like good job. And we have to remember that some people, they, they have, they, there's an awareness of a supreme being but no effective knowledge of the gospel. And so maybe your encounter with them will bring them closer to Jesus. It may not get them over the salvation line, but your interaction got them a little closer. Before they thought all Christians were like this, but because you showed love to them, now they're, they're coming up a little bit higher. And what we do and what we train our people to do is, listen, everybody's not ripe. You can't, you should not pick unripened fruit because unripe fruit is not ready. But we shouldn't back down from proclaiming the truth. But we also have to be aware how many have had, I know Deb always talks about this, her car kept breaking down. She was, she was a rascal, all right? Uh, 
not anymore. She's perfect, but she was a rascal. And so her car kept breaking down. And every time her car broke down, some Christians came and helped her fix this and shared the gospel with her. And she's like, I'll just fix my car. I want to hear about Jesus, you know. But that's, that's where she was. She was down here, and now she's off the charts. You know what I'm saying? She's off the charts. So it's important that we do our part. And if your job is just to plant seeds and you pray for them, and God will bring forth the fruit. So if they don't come to Christ, saying, Lord, I need you to move on this person. Lord, I need, like, begin to pray for that person. Is this helpful to you, the angle scale? And so I want you to just start moving people up the scale. The God of the Bible is always seeking to bring, a, bring others into a relationship with him. Isn't that good? We serve a God that's pursuing us. He longs to be in relationship with us. I, I always teach this in the, the, the Deuteronomy 6.4 where God says he is one. It's, it means he's a covenantal God. He's a God that doesn't want to be all by himself. He wants to invite everyone into that place of covenant. Doesn't matter where people are, what kind of lifestyle they're living in, the truth of the matter is God is longing to bring them into covenant with him, into a relationship with him. And we can be part of that. We can be part of that process. And I love, as we see throughout the Bible, and I'm going to finish with this story when it talks about Genesis chapter 15. And this is an amazing picture that God is himself, and you'll see this throughout the Bible. He's making covenants with, with Adam. He's making covenants with Noah. He's making covenants with Abraham, with Moses, with David. And then when Jesus, his son, comes, he's bringing the world back into that place of, of relationship. And that's his heart, and that's his longing. And here we see the story, Genesis 15, 18. It says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring, I give this land. God is about uniting, coming together with man. He's about bringing us into that place of relationship, not just saving us from hell, but bringing us into a, a relationship with him. And in ancient Jewish ceremonies, what they would always do to confirm this covenant, it's kind of gross, but what they would do is they would usually take an animal and they would cut this animal in half. Sometimes it was a bird, Sometimes it was a, a lamb or sometimes it was an oxen. But they would cut this animal down the center and they would rip it in two pieces. And one person in the covenant would stand on one side and they would walk between the pieces of this dead animal. It's kind of gross. And they would declare in front of a group of witnesses, may this happen to me if I ever violate this covenant between me and you, like say that uh, me and Deb make a covenant here. She's got her own land and I've got my own land. And we agree that we will never attack each other. And so I would walk through it and then she would walk through it, declare the same thing. May this, may I be torn in pieces. May I be bloodied and ripped in two if I ever violate the terms of this agreement today. That's powerful, isn't it? That's why they called these blood covenants. It wasn't like this little prick your finger and, you know. I mean, this, this was serious stuff. I mean, they were ripping this animal in, in pieces. And they were declaring that. But this is the intensity that we need to see with our relationship 
that God wants to have with us. And on that day, God is making Yahweh, the God of heaven, is making a covenant, covenant with Abram. So it says this in Genesis 15, 12. As the sun was going down, deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell on him. So here we have God is making, Yahweh is making a covenant with Abram, and guess what happens to Abram? Just falls asleep. Really? <laughs> Sounds like the same word used about Adam and Abraham. He's about to make a covenant with man, with Abram, through him and all mankind, because we know that God made a covenant with Abraham and, and through his descendants, and that covenant is extended to all of us. And then it says this, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So here we have Abraham on this side, sleeping. We have Yahweh over here, ready to make covenant. What happens? We see a smoking fire pot go between the pieces. And then we see a flaming torch go through the pieces. You can show a picture of that. Kind of an odd picture that we have here. Donald Richardson wrote this. He said, why did God ordain two sources of light to emphasize the importance of a sacrifice for sin as a response to that dreadful darkness? And why was the first light source, the smoking fire pot, so much dim dimmer than the second light source that followed, described as a blazing torch? Can I tell you what I believe was happening in this, in this passage? God is longing to meet with you. He's longing to bring the world into covenant with him. When he came to Abram, he knew Abraham couldn't walk through this covenant and say, may this happen to me if I ever violate the terms of this agreement. Why? Because he would definitely break those. He would definitely break his promise. So what happens is, is we see Yahweh represents the smoking fire pot. I like to say sometimes it represents the old covenant because there's a fire burning in the Old Testament. There's a plan that's being revealed in the Old Testament that you can't see the light, but you see the smoke. You smell the smoke. Something's going on here. God has a bigger plan, but we only smell the smoke and, and see the smoke. But what happens next is we then see the torch go through these pieces. And that torch represents the full revelation of Jesus Christ. What was hidden and smoking in the old lights up in the New Testament. The smoking pot is a fire not yet revealed and is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. The torch is the bright and shining revelation of the Son of God himself blazing onto the pages of the New Testament. that powerful? Here we have this picture in the first 16 chapters of the book of Genesis, this revelation of God wanting to make covenant with man. He wants covenant with you. He wants covenant with your neighbor, with your coworker. He wants covenant 
with the hurting people under the Iron Curtain in, the, in China right now, in the, under the Communist Party. He wants salvation, wants souls, wants people to come to them. But they haven't had the full revelation of that revealed to them. Now, when we see this it, in this picture here, Abram never walked through those dead pieces of the animal. But Jesus did. He represented the fiery torch that walked through those pieces. And he was torn in two because that covenant was broken. He was torn in two. He hung on that cross between heaven and earth to fulfill what happened in Genesis chapter 16. It was torn in two because that covenant was violated. May this happen to me if this covenant is violated. And it was. And that's what the cross was. Jesus took the punishment for us, for you and I. The cross is central to the salvation message, to bringing people into relationship with him. Let's stand together. Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. He's that flaming torch. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's your promise, my friend. I want to ask you today, who are you called to? Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray right now, God, that you would share with your sons and daughters, God, who are they called to in this season, Lord? I thank you for the heart of evangelism, the fire of evangelism to burn in them, God, to share the good news. And Father, I thank you right now that you will show them how to be equipped, how to walk in that power and authority, and how to be simply just loving and caring to those around them. I thank you for that today. And Lord, who do they need to be praying for? Can I tell you, put up the next picture. I want to encourage you guys to do this. Your pastor was born in 1969. And what I do oftentimes, especially when I'm under attack, is I start praying for other influential people that were born in 1969. Pray for Jack Black, Jennifer Aniston, I think his name, yeah, yeah. Mariah Carey, Marilyn Manson, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, can I tell you that when we up our prayers, it, when the enemy is attacking and you say, well, I'm going to prayer and I'm going to go pray for this person's salvation. I just read a story, uh, a friend of mine, he said back in the 80s, every time he would go on a ministry trip, he would, his wife would be attacked while he was on the ministry trip. And so the next time that happened, he said, I'm going to go pray for Madonna for an hour, and he'd been to intercede and call forth their salvation and break hell off her life. In the name of Jesus, he interceded and prayed. Guess what happened? The devil never attacked his wife again when he went on a ministry trip. <laughs> so yeah, our good friend here, Marilyn Manson, guess what? God's moving in this guy's life. I don't know if you've seen that or heard that. I don't know even know what it looks like. I don't even know if I want to know, but hey, God's doing something. Because we're praying, and I want to encourage you. When the devil attacks you, you attack him back with praying for influential people and watch what God will do.
manager of Gateway Hunger Relief Center and um, I've been about here about 14 years. This has been a blessing to me and my family to be able to serve. We need your support and the reason why we need your support is because our numbers are growing for one thing. The need is great here in Richmond. We're able to provide fresh produce and sometimes milk and just meats and everything like that and your donations really mean a lot to keep this program going. Uh, we also serve the seniors and we also make kiddo bags so every child gets a bag to take home that's got mac and cheese and drink and little snacks in there for them and we just love being able to pass these things out and bless families and if you love seeing, your fa seeing families get blessed in Richmond come donate to Gateway Hunger Relief Center. Shelby Jones. Hi, my name is J.D. Marker. Hi, my name is Jenny. I just love blessing the people and seeing all the smiling faces and smiling kids. I come, love coming here. It gives me something to do every day. I like to give the people God in their hearts and I like to spread the word of God around to everybody. It's been a blessing. I've been here for 14 years and I hope to do it for another 14. I don't know what I would do without him really. I'd be home doing nothing. I just love being here and helping people. I like to give out food and help people. God bless everybody.